3: Hello and welcome to Football Book Club, the only book club where instead of reading literary classics, each episode we read another footballer's autobiography, less Haruki Murakami. Oh no, I'm I'm already already, already already. very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Less Haruki Murakami, more Dear Mercy Umbakami, which is a real deep cut. Carl's nodding, Jack's kind of recoiled a little bit. Remember Dear Mercy Umbakami? No, who's the. Play, play no. For Norwich. David Norwich and someone else on loan at some point. I sat next to him on the Eurostar once. True story. <laughs> okay. I think I might have mentioned that on the Breath podcast out. before, but yeah, I sat next to him on the. Did you
2: mention Murakami to him? I didn't mention Murakami <sighs>
3: I didn't mention anything to him, but he was. Uh, I was just thinking, oh, Steve Mercy and Murakami. Thanks to South Sandrew for sending that one in. Member of the book club, club, VIP. But anyway. Now, moving on from that, I am James Berg, and over the weeks we'll be reading classics such as Pierre Luigi Collina's The Rules of the Game and Liam Pyo's I Am the Thought, which is sadly only in Korean, otherwise we'll be all over that. But today, we've got a slightly different episode for you, and joining me as always are Jack Bernhardt. Hello. Natasha Frisco. Hello. And welcome back, writer, the athletic journalist, and co-author of this week's book, You Are a Champion, written with Marcus Rashford, his friend of the show, Karl Anker. Hello there. Woo! You came back. You came back.
1: I did. I did. I, I, I still have a copy of uh, "Heart of a Lion." That's the prize book. I, I, <laughs>
3: I, I, I was going to say you came back despite the fact that you um you, we, we we made you read this book, but it was it was good fun. We we we, it we, was, we, we was
1: good fun. It's proven yeah. quite useful. Um, so during uh, the summer where Lionel Messi departed for Paris Saint Germain, and uh-huh. it very much looked like Memphis was going to be a free agent and, and moving somewhere else, he, mm. you know, Memphis goes to Barcelona, and uh, near the end of the autobiography, Memphis mentions that his one of his life ambitions, other than to earn a hundred million dollars, um, is to play for Real Madrid one day. Which, I mean, if you're a Barcelona player, you don't want that in your autobiography. So this, mm. so having that in my back pocket when the deal went through. Uh, was one of the things when they went through and were like, oh, what's Memphis going off for Barcelona? And it was my first little like, oh, well, here's an interesting bit of colour that I learned from yeah. his autobiography. Yeah. Which always I- did the whole like, Memphis already has an autobiography? Yes, he already has an it autobiography. <laughs> it's quite a thrilling read.
3: Yep. Plus we learnt about his Marvin the Martian tattoo, right, I think? Exactly. <laughs> and Aku Aku. And Aku from Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, let me get it. Yeah, that that was, was that number. Was that like fact number two that you brought up? <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting fact, Carl. Also, what else got, do you have? also Ronald Kuhman. Do you know he's got an ak- Tata tattoo. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> uh, yeah, those were oh, those were good days. That was good. Day. That was that was the end of 2020. Uh, fair to say, you've been pretty busy since then, Carl. Just a scooch. <laughs> Just a scooch. <laughs> Just a scooch. Uh, of course, the reason why we've come on today is you wrote you are a champion with Marcus Rashford, and hot off the press, you're writing a second book with them yes, as well. Yes,
1: we are. It's called You Can Do It, which is, is the sequel book and again is going to be a children's book all about um, environmentalism, activism and, and empowering young people to affect change in the world.
3: Environmentalism. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah. We thought if th- we thought the central theme for the first book was basically trying to encourage children to understand that they are special and they have the ability to do amazing things Mm -hmm. and if that was you know your debut album then difficult album number two do you either do the same thing again or do you try and do something a little bit experimental Mm. yeah it's like a concept album after a little chat we figured well if if the first book was all about you as the singular person then the second one should be about you as the collective and the power of community so that that is the intention for book two wow Oh.
4: I mean, this is much loftier than our
1: usual fodder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't read fodder. Read
3: well, mm. uh, you say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, yeah you say you say I think it's that. fodder. <laughs> <laughs> That's, but, but, but one thing that isn't fodder is uh, the book that we're going to chat today, a book that we've all just read. You are a champion. So let's do it. Let's open up the book and let's chat to Carl Anker. Talking of fodder, I mean... This is this episode will have come out just after our Robert Earnshaw episode. The <laughs> <laughs> very,
2: very much fodder. Robert Earnshaw,
1: yeah,
3: great at chess. Wow.
1: loves chess, loves wow. it. Really? Right. Okay. Robbie, Robbie Earnshaw loves chess. Uh, we did a little episode of uh, Radio Five Live part way through the last season where he was talking about chess at the same time. Uh, and I went, oh yeah, you know I played chess a little bit in my school days, and he went, oh well, let's have a game whenever you're ready. Here's my sort of chess login details for when you want a game online. Um, and I went, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, you know, get right on there and, and start doing things. Uh, and he warned me, sort of, you want to? He said, you know, don't, don't, don't blindly go into this. I'm, I'm good at chess. <laughs> blindly uh, <laughs> Well, he didn't say that in that sort of way. He just went, you know, he'd love to play chess with me. He thinks it's a fantastic game and he's always looking to play more chess people. And, and unfortunately, I got so fixated on learning to get good at chess again so I could play Robbie Unshaw. I didn't play Robbie Unshaw at chess. So Robbie, uh, if you are going to listen to this, I do owe you a chess match. So give him a game. Maybe,
2: that, maybe that's his tactic. Maybe he just goes up to Scare him and he's tactics, like, yeah. like,
1: hey mate, I'm really
3: good at chess. So you better <laughs> yeah. get really good yeah. at chess if you want to play me. And it, so no one's ever played him. No one knows. Yeah. No one knows how good Robbie but Earnshaw yeah, is. Yeah. 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 He, he loves chess. Um, wow, that didn't come across in his book. The book, the book. No, was, it did not. The book was incredible. The book was incredible. It wasn't a bad book. It was just incredibly, incredibly small book. Incredibly I mean, small book. It was more of a pamphlet. Yeah. He
1: made that amazing tweet about friendship.
2: I was going to say I completely forgotten he has so many great tweets and we didn't talk about them at all. He's an amazing
1: poster. He, he said, you know, that tweet about friendship is odd. You just meet a person and eventually over time go, yeah, you're, you're, you're my one. <laughs> oh, I'm going to yeah. hang out with you for ages. That's Which is a just. Bell. That's so right. cute. That's beautiful. Greek philosophy level about. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He's great. Big fan of the gentleman.
3: That, I think I've heard yeah. that, I've heard that kind of thing before. Do you think he finds them somewhere? I don't. I, I, you know what? I don't want to. No, turn you into, know what? I, no, want I don't want to. Robbie, don't slander. Let's talk about the man <laughs> we're to be talking about today. Let's talk about Marcus Rashford. Let's talk about Marcus Rashford because you are a champion. Has been incredibly successful. Carl, uh, massive bestseller. It was named W. H. Smith's Book of the Year. Last year alongside other many other awards as well recently that must be nice must be very nice right
4: <laughs> it was so successful that i got two copies for christmas
2: wow what
1: wow
3: yeah there you go thank you mm. that's successful
1: um, it is, you're a
3: double champion it's
1: <laughs> a, it's a very surreal experience that i still it still doesn't quite sink in sure too often it's not something i introduce myself as in small talk you know i got you know, i'm Carla someone goes, what do you do for it? I say, oh, you know, I, I do, you know, I work for The Athletic. I, I work in football. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe someone in my friend group will prod me and go, you write books? And I go, oh, what books did you write? Anything I would have heard of? I'm like, yeah, you, you, know, just, just, you know, just just a book. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I do, but my girlfriend has noted that there are two or three times where I will be doing something idly. and Or I'll be brushing my teeth or i be sort of like washing the dishes and I'll stop and go. I did a book with Marcus Rashford. Yeah. How? <laughs> how? how? That don't, was weird.
3: I I mean I don't want to say because I can totally understand why the case because you're a great writer. However, the how thing is interesting to us because how did it come about? Take us right back to the beginning. You know, what was the impetus for this happening?
1: So I think the it was around about the time we were doing the Memphis episode. Hey, did he listen? Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: <it's> like, <laughs> so around this guy. about
1: around about the time the Memphis episode we we did the Memphis episode. I Yeah. So he scores the hat-trick against RB Leipzig in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, so this was just, just after the initial vote had been... One of the initial votes had been shot down in the House of Com- Collins? Mm-hmm. The Commons. Mm-hmm. Had been shot down, um, uh, to which he very strongly spoke on social media about how he it wasn't going to be the end of his campaigning and whatnot. Then he went off and scored a hat-trick against RB Leipzig <laughs> in the Champions League. Um, and then the next day, he started tweeting more about how he wanted more people to sign his petition. And it was very much like, this is where does he find the time this is extraordinary and um, just as
3: people know this is this is the school dinners campaign of course yeah, that that yeah, yeah. yeah sure
2: and at the time we were all reading memphis to autobiography and wasting our lives talking about it just just to remind
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so this is this is late october early november and i got a i got a text message from my my book agent who mm-hmm. bless our heart has been trying to very nicely get me to finish a ridiculous crime novel I've been working on for several years, but Ooh. I stop writing every now and again whenever I get a new PlayStation game. Okay. Um, <laughs> and you, she let it be known to me that Marcus Rashford would be interested in writing a book and loads of people were going to apply and put themselves mm-hmm. forward to, to, to collaborate with him. And she asked me if, if I would like my name put forward as well. Uh, and it was one of those, you know, mornings or events where you're sort of half reading on your phone and you're eating a sandwich or you're, you're doing something like, you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I got to buy me a raffle ticket. I don't want to, I won't win it, but fine. Um, and I said, I thought nothing else of it. I thought, I had a little moment where I uh, I looked at everyone who I worked with at The Athletic and I thought, if you walked into that office and, and want to write a book, you wouldn't pick me. Because I haven't, I'd never written a book before. Um, I'd never written a children's book before. While I knew who Marcus Rashid was and knew a lot about Manchester United, there were other journalists at Manchester United who had been doing that for longer. So, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. big batch of imposter syndrome. Sure. Telling me you're an absolute fraud. There's no way he's going to pick you. Uh, And I thought if there was a shortlist of 30 journalists, I'd be number 35. So, (laughs) you know, off I go about my day saying I did the right thing to put my name down, but nothing's going to happen. And about two weeks later, again, going up my day, eating a sandwich, doing something half idly, probably reading some of Memphis's book. Uh, And I get a message saying, he picked you. Uh, Wow. "Uh, So
3: how how much later was that after you first found out?
1: About two weeks. Like a really short space of time.
3: Did you have the fear
4: during that time that like everything you did, he might be looking at?
1: Of course. that's (laughs) That,
3: that's <laughs> yeah, why you're like delay the podcast delay yeah, the yeah. episode
1: <laughs> <laughs> so w- once I found out what I did was uh, so previously in my writing career in my journalism career I've done interviews with rappers and athletes and mm-hmm. comp, you know not just footballers but you know MMA people fencers Man, whatever and you learn certain techniques as to how to research properly for an interview um, so I basically ran off and created like a custom Wikipedia page for myself and Marcus Rashford, went through a whole bunch of interviews mm-hmm. just to find out what sort of questions he didn't like being asked mm-hmm. in, in interviews so I could figure out how to, you know, if I only got half an hour with him, how to make sure that half an hour was really beneficial because I don't want to ask him a question. I know he doesn't like answering because that's a waste of t- five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. And then I remember the BBC did a documentary on his food actors and his campaigning Uh, And my mum, who didn't, my mum knows football a little bit. She's aware of what Manchester United are and that I support them. Yeah, She is aware Marcus Rashford is the nice boy who wants children to get fed. Um, And when I told her I was doing a book with him, she said she would watch this documentary. So we we are watching it both live on BBC. And there's a Mm. point in a documentary where it cuts to his house and he's got his two dogs, big dog, you know, Like many footballers now do, they have dogs, Mm -hmm, not just for mm -hmm. social reasons, but also dogs almost as a security reason as well. Uh, And my mom texts me going, you're in trouble because I know you're afraid of big dogs. Mm -hmm. Like, good luck if you have to go around his house to write stuff and this big dog sort (laughs) of leaps up on you. Um, so this is the part. This is partway through the research and photo. I'm sort of taking all these notes, watching the documentary, trying to figure out what's going on. Imposter syndrome is also going through us. I'm watching this entire documentary, going, why on earth would a man this nice choose to write a book with me? And I finish it. I'm uh, going to my mum. I'm, like, I'm not sure I can do this, and I'm not sure I'm the the right person to do this thing. And my mum's like, calm down, calm down. He's, he's he's just he's just like you. You know, you both like getting your hair cut. You're both really close to your mums. You are both. Like these biscuits and whatever, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Uh, Okay, thanks. I'm going to go write this book now. Um, (laughs) uh, And that was late December. And then the book, uh, I'd like to, I think I started page one, you sort of page one typing hello. This is how this book starts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I started that pretty much first week of January. And I finished it at four o'clock in the morning on April. 5th 2021 so wow uh, the book was in around about three or four months
3: blimey Um, and that was that i'm guessing they wanted it to come out very quickly anyways it is i mean that's very impressive that you managed to do that but was there pressure on you throughout that to kind of go okay
1: um so traditionally in a no you know traditionally in a in a a non-covid affected world Mm. uh, a book of that length would possibly take a year to to write Mm. from start to finish but it was known. We we, we ideally want to get that book out for the end of the football season. Uh, and, and Marcus was really generous with his time to get things done. There were two or three points where watching your Manchester United's travails through the 2021 season, there was a point where you know, United go top or joint top in the Premier League in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Marcus is, you know, he wants to win the Premier League. So I'm saying he's not going to, you know, Make time in his day to text me or to call me or to have a chat about what he wants to do because he needs to focus on his technique and getting his sleep and and doing everything possible to try and help oh, Man United win course. a Premier League title or try and win a Europa League title. But he was great. He was very much like, no, like, what do you need? When do you need it? There, there's wow. there's a moment where there was a moment part way through the season around the March international break where he he picked up a little injury and sort of went, look, I'm injured. How much more do you need? For us to to complete this book, how many chapters do we have left? And I said, Well, maybe three, maybe four. He goes, Cool. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get everything done. So this is all done and dusted and sorted by end of March. So you can just focus on getting it all done for April. So he sounds incredibly
3: proactive. He's he's yeah, he sounds very decisive.
2: Yeah.
1: He has an incredible clarity of vision. Yeah. When he decides he wants to do something, he will get it done.
3: That's, that is fascinating. We'll go into a little bit more about, um, you know, the actual process of, of writing with Marcus in a little bit, but the book itself, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's less, um, was it ever intended to be an autobiography at no. any point or was it, it was always, this was always what it was going to be. And was that coming from Marcus? He says like, this is what I would like it to be. Uh, you know, not, a, 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 it's not a self-help book, but you know, something which, uh, I don't know. I, how would you describe it, Carl, the book itself? I'd
1: say, uh, yeah, you can almost describe it as a self-help book. So yeah, okay. So Marcus, Marcus didn't want it to be a straight autobiography because you know, at the time he was twenty-three, and he was yeah, so I've done I've done some things in my life, but I, I'm twenty-three. My life is nowhere near complete, or you know, long enough for me to write a fully fledged autobiography for it. Sure. Um, but what he did want to do, and something that came up quite early when we were talking, was when he he didn't really read books or anything outside schoolwork. Until mm-hmm. he was 17 in Manchester United's academy, where mm-hmm. he wrote, he was given a copy of *Relentless*, which is a book by Tim Grover. So, Tim Grover, uh, if you were like me and you spent some of lockdown one watching *The Last Dance*, you might have seen Tim Grover. He okay. is Michael Jordan's personal trainer. So, this guy has trained Michael Jordan. He's trained Kobe Bryant. He's trained Dwayne. He's trained Dwayne Wade, and he is. Well, that, a, that is a hard
3: thing to say. He's, he's trained he, Dwayne. He's Duane. trained Dwayne. That may be our new um, like yeah. to stop uh, to, like a tongue twister. Yeah, to, stop, warm to, to warm up, warm up before the episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, and uh, he he's all about being relentless. Uh, so Tim Grover says there are three types of people in this world. There are they're coolers, they're closers, and they're cleaners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most people in this world are coolers, right? So they are cool out. They don't really want to do too much. They do whatever. They do this and this and this. There are closers who close deals and they can do stuff. And they're cleaners who so are right at the top. Uh, Because he says in in the world of business, whatever, the most important person isn't necessarily the CEO. It's the cleaner, the cleanup Mm -hmm. guy, because he has the keys to every single room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and they're the person that you call to clean stuff up and get shit done. Uh, And it was all about getting to this really positive mindset and being utterly relentless in chasing your sporting ambitions. Rashford reads this at 17, right at the time where he's thinking about, you know, maybe is this the point in time where he's going to make it to the first team? And he said it really helped him. Um, Maybe once a year he will read that book with a pen and pencil and underline bits and go, yep, yeah, this is how I'm going to sort of get my mindset ready for, for big challenges ahead for his England Manchester United career. Um, so when he thought about writing a book, he thought, well, this is a book that really helped me when I was 17. Yeah. That also probably isn't the best for 15 or 16, probably isn't the best for non-athletes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and thought, is there a way to create a version of this book that really helped him for everyone? Mm. Uh, and that was, that was the main goal. Just sort of, can you create a version of not necessarily there are winners and there's losers or there's doers and there's this, but create a thing of, hi, you're you know, eleven to sixteen, maybe seventeen, and you're trying to figure out your life and you're trying to figure out how you go from maybe I want to do this to going actually this is the thing I want to do in my life and this is how I'm going to do it, uh, and that was very much the plan. Which is something
3: which seems incredibly important for Marcus, this period of uh, you know your formative year. because a footballer wouldn't necessarily go, okay, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write it for. Uh, you know young teens and people it, it, it's it's interesting that you know all the school dinner stuff and the book and everything is all geared towards this age where I guess you can you can really take off I guess, and if you've got the right support he wants people to to have that and to to push on that's that's totally correct
1: he he. I mean the most recent time we talked he said he'd really like to get to a place where young people are able to make adult decisions yeah, or, or, or think yeah. or think about things in our decisions, or be aware of the world around them in the same way, and out does or perhaps better because when you're young and you're, you know, you said when you're young, you've got like a, you know, neuroplasticity is what we always talk about about how mm-hmm. it's easy to learn languages or easier to learn musical instruments when you're younger, and I think Marcus mm-hmm. is really aware of that, and he's really aware of the fact that when he was young, he didn't necessarily have access to the greatest amount of opportunities, so he wanted to create something that could allow that sort of thing there were times where he said he wanted the book to be a key that could unlock loads of doors Um, and that was those are things that we we were constantly going back and forth about trying to get down that's really interesting do
4: you know what is another great use for this book as well I downloaded the audio book and when you have a hangover it absolutely decimates your beer fear you feel on top of the world, you're like, no, I couldn't possibly have done anything <laughs> wrong last <this> night. <laughs> I am amazing.
3: Did Marcus say that was the
1: second reason why think about writing to <laughs> write yeah. a book
3: <laughs> to inspire kids Just and to help people who've been <laughs> on a night out in Stoke the night before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's helped. It's helped. There were are, are definitely times when writing it, maybe 60% of the process in writing it, where um, my brother wasn't having a great day. And I sort of gave him a little pep talk, and he, he, he was on the phone. And he went, "You've got a lot better at pep talks. <laughs> uh, no. like, how are you this good at pep talks now?" Uh, oh, just because you know, last week I was you know looking over a word document in Marcus, and he told me this stuff, and obviously I'm absorbing the lessons that he's telling me. We should really like give out to children.
3: And is this, was it something that you were interested in as well? This idea of um, self-motivation and mantras and this kind of, you can do it, all this this idea. Was it, was it something which interested you as much before or everything that was in there was kind of brought to you from Marcus? I
1: use it in a sports background, I think. So I was always in a sports team at school. Uh, mm-hmm. I was always in a sports team when I was playing at university, after I graduated from university. My general thing is if you're in a town or in your city or you move somewhere and you don't have any mates, you'd find a sports team. Or, play by mm, side yeah. F- yeah find a sports team as soon as possible or, or you know y- if you've got a decent singing voice find a choir find something, um, and something I mean I've that's always... one of
2: the that's one of the chapters isn't it let's uh, find your team yeah that's mm. really inspirational yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and one thing I've always thought about and you know if, if you follow me on Twitter there's there are about five or six subjects I always end up eventually talking about one of them is sort of it's very important to have a friend one of them is sort of you should never go to a burrito bar in the first week of it opening um. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point you shouldn't never go to I went, a, I went to one chance. you're familiar with
3: with Carl you obviously I'm very we, familiar yeah, we, yeah. We, we certainly went to school in Essex with me uh, they opened a new place went there on the second day it opened don't mess. do that don't mess. do that Absolutely. mess
1: never go to a burrito bar in the first two weeks of it opening because wow. they totally. need I've at least like before. a week they need like a week week and a half to get the temperature of the rice right otherwise mm-hmm. it's just like Salmonella Sandro so that's something oh, that's I tweet a lot about
3: I will go back and I will report back
1: that's something I tweet a lot about and another thing I tweet a lot about is it's, you need at least four hobbies in your life one of them that you can do by yourself one of them that forces you to go outside one of them that forces you to talk to people from different walks of life and loads of different backgrounds and I've always thought one of the most important things you can do in your life is to be part of a, a team or a community or an organisation or something where if you don't turn up one week, someone will ring you up the week after and go, where were you? And, you know, for some people, that's their church. For some people, that's their gym. For some people, that's their five-a-side. For some people, it's their school. You know, some people who really, really love their jobs, it's their job, right? But it's always, I think it's always really useful to have a thing in your life that you know, if you don't turn up, someone might give you a ring and go, are you okay? I was thinking about you the other day. And, you know, this is especially relevant now we're in these COVID-affected times. It can be really hard and really mm. easy to, to feel as if you're alone and no one matters if you sort of curl up into a ball. So that was something we wanted to get through in team in, in, in the book as well. Just the idea that no matter who you are, what your background is or whatever's going on in your life, there is always someone somewhere out there who is thinking about you at least once or twice a mm.
4: week. Was it important for you that it wasn't just about football?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's not a direct autobiography, but every chapter starts with a personal anecdote or a personal story. So it's sort of, you know, chapter one is, hi, my name is Marcus Rashford. I don't have a middle name.
4: I like strawberry biscuits.
1: He likes strawberry biscuits. Uh, My favourite chapter chapter, is chapter five, where he's sort of talking about his grandma. uh, Uh, Oh, yeah. His grandma used to make corn porridge and how that taught him how to sort of figure out how to ask questions and whatnot. Mm. Uh, there's another story about when he was playing Knock Down Ginger with his friends, yes. or Knock A Door And Run, which I didn't realise that's a regional name. Um, <laughs> so it's it always starts with a person like that, and then it, it goes into to, to life guidance and advice. And at the end of every chapter, there is a practical guide as well, by Kate Warriner, uh, to sort of help children to, to physically fill in little notes. and yeah. understand.
3: Uh, This is interesting. I wonder where these came from because obviously it was you and Marcus worked in it, but there were also two other people as well involved. So Kate was one of them you just mentioned and the other person uh, was Tim S. Grover. Oh Tim yeah, Gro- Tim S. Gro- oh, sorry, Tim Tim, he wrote the afterwards. Tim Grover. Yeah, of Tim course. Tim Grover. Yeah, who you mentioned before. It's Tim Grover. It's yeah, Tim yeah. Grover. It's Tim Grover, of course. Yeah.
1: He was like, hey, this guy stole my bet. <laughs> 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 um, so, so there's loads of that and yeah, Marcus once said, it's very important to let children dream because there are some children who dreaming is all they have. And I thought about that a lot of the process. There were times where we start our lives in, in similar circumstances. So we both grew up on council estates, but very quickly in my life, I luckily, or thanks to privilege and whatever someone goes that kid's pretty smart get him out and move him this way mm-hmm. uh, and marcus is aware of his situation where you know he's really really gifted at playing football and then by the time he's 13 someone goes we got to put him somewhere else uh but during our conversations we always talked about how there are some children and some young people who don't get to leave their neighborhoods there's some who don't get to leave their areas there's a very unique feeling you get sometimes when you go back home uh, and some of this is mentioned in Musa wanga's new book. Called one of them, where he goes back home. He went to Eton for his school mm-hmm. and he went back home to his, his local area. And he was talking to one of the kids who was really good at basketball, who was the same age. And he said, The person went to me. So when you go off and do all those things you want to do in your life, don't forget about us. Don't forget there are some people just still here. Uh, and I've always thought about that. Mm-hmm. And Marcus always is thinking about that, right? He's always going back to his his hometown with an Insura and, and just essentially just walking the streets. Of his hometown, and waiting for people to come up to him and ask him if he, you know, are you all right? Because that's the place that looked after him and he wants to look after them as well. Uh, and I think that's always been really important to him. I remember once we had a discussion and I said, Oh, you know, maybe you didn't read books until you're 15, 16, 17, but did you read magazines? Did you read the TV guide? Did you do those sort of things? I was like, no, not really. We didn't really have enough in the in the budget to, to buy a TV guide every single week. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, Right, yeah. Uh, and just that sort of constantly reconfiguring things and understanding that Mm. you know for some children this is their very first ever book that they've owned yeah um, which i think is amazing and also makes me feel strange feelings
3: yeah yeah i'm sure
4: (laughs) i noticed in wh smith they have a like scheme where if you buy a copy they donate a copy yeah which i thought that was that's really cool yeah
1: so, yeah. Mark has also made sure the book is distributed to, to breakfast clubs around up and down the country uh, and to children who are on free school meals up and down the country as well. So, earlier this year, we went back to his own primary school in Button Lane uh, and met some children from his breakfast club who had read the book because oh. the book was given to them for free. And they were sort of telling him their favourite segments in the book. And I was just sort of like. <laughs> I'm not crying. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, it's just the adrenaline.
3: <laughs> that <laughs> um,
1: is, that's extremely I'm hardcore. <laughs> uh, that's yeah.
3: But, you know, it does... It's great that it helps so many children, but also some of the advice, as we mentioned, it, it, it applies for adults as well. Not just Tash's hangover. A lot of things <laughs> in there. But it, it does help with a lot of things. You know, there were lines in there, like, if you give your best at things you're best at, being you, then you've done something no one else in the world can do. And these little mantras you know, which are kind of in different fonts and different sizes, different points, kind of really stick in your mind from that. In my notes,
4: I wrote that it's like a cross between Bart Simpson's Guide to Life and Therapy. Bart Bart
0: Simpson's Guide to Life. Two of my favourite things in the world. What a book. book. Great, it is a great book. What
2: a
3: book. Yeah, what a book. (laughs) (laughs) God, we should do that on the podcast at some point. We should. should That was was, was a (laughs) forwarded book for me. Yeah, it is.
2: Did you you do the bit where it said, for the meaning of life, turn to page? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And you just do that for hours and classic, hours. Like, Where is it? Classic, classic, classic. Would you tempted to put that in this book? Uh, uh, I
1: can't. I did. I did ask. When we were early. When we were in the early process. Oh, was I allowed footnotes? And they said no. Oh, so I, uh, dang. One day I'll write a book with footnotes. So I'm putting loads of loads of little jokes in there.
3: Yeah, I read Richard Dawe's first autobiography. And it was. It's. It's mainly footnotes. The appendix. Yeah. The yeah, the yeah. Oh and my god. god. It goes on for <laughs> ages. Oh my. I read it on Kindle and it didn't work like that quite as well. But yeah, it was a. It's a it's, it was. It was. Fascinating. Fascinating. But you know, it's, it's just it's nice reading a book, and I think very early on, Marcus said right, right at the top, he says, "I believe in you," and I was like, oh, "That's nice." Marcus believes yeah, in me. Man. I know that I'm not the target audience, but you know, I like I like the fact that Marcus. I'm guessing he believes in me as well, even though I'm older. So, <laughs> right. so every every
1: you know, every now and again, when I'm not feeling great about myself and the apostle syndromes kicked in, or, or I'm having a hangover shakes, or Manchester United have not played well, <laughs> and I'm really annoyed at my life, um, I do have a little. <laughs> Wander onto Marcus's mm-hmm. social media pages where he often retweets or responds to people who've enjoyed the book. And there's one that I now have sort of clipped and stick it on my wall, uh, which is uh, someone, a parent, going that their eight year old son was reading the book and sort of yelled from the living room, Mom, Mom, Mom. Marcus says he believes in me. Oh. Just,
3: <laughs> oh.
1: Not crime. <crying. clears throat> oh, boy. <laughs> not crime. Oh, my
3: God.
2: Oh, my God. And a, there was beautiful. another one recently
1: from, I think it was a nine, maybe eight year old. And uh, he he went to visit his mum, who was in hospital and not doing well, unfortunately, uh, and wrote a card. Uh, and the card had a note of going, you know, don't, you don't need to do whatever. All you need to do is, is make sure you do your best. Uh, and the person who took him to the hospital went. Oh, where'd you get that from, Marcus's new book. Oh. I went. Oh, bloody hell! Oh boy, <laughs> oh. God! I it's think we... Just onions. It's uh, just onions being chopped near me. <laughs> I
3: think we're going to need a we're we're going to need a break for people to 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 have a little vent, have a little vent, and, and yeah. get it all out because this is. It's, I, I thought it might be an emotional episode, but I didn't quite imagine it. It's to, emotional. To, to be, I was just going to mention how there's a bit in the book where it says, um, imagine you're 21 years old. Uh, what sort of person do you want to be? And I felt a bit depressed at that point because I'm 32 years yeah. old. <laughs> and I feel like I might have missed the, missed the chance. But it's not that, the time for that. that it's the time yeah. for sad. It's the time for emotion. <laughs> and we're going to come back. We have more stories from Carl about working with Marcus. And we're going to introduce him to another of football's biggest names, Andy Crabb. So see you after the break. Ooh. <laughs> We're Football Book Club Podcast, and we need your support. Now, let's let's drop the appeal music. Hi, everyone. James here, and I just want to tell you about the brand new Football Book Club Club, which you can join to receive bonus weekly episodes, access to exclusive member events, and your very own Football Book Club book book bookmark, all for the same price as a used copy of Darren Huckabee's 2007 book, Hucks. So if you enjoy the podcast and need to hear more afterwards, head to patreon.com forward slash football book club. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Football Book Club, where we are still talking to Carl Anker about his and Marcus Rashford's book. You are a champion. So, Carl, we've, we've we've talked about you know how you got the gig with Marcus and uh, a few of the early steps. Uh, how you had to go around his house with his scary dogs. Actually, I don't think we got a conclusion to that. What happened with the dogs? Were you, were you fine with the dogs uh, in the end? It,
1: well, uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, we didn't. We we did most of it over Zoom. Oh, which, which I of course. A well.
3: This is um, this so is really I did interesting. Not think
1: out the scary dogs. I, um, we have had a discussion about dogs recently.
4: Do you want to know a fun fact about his dogs? Please do. The woman that we got my dog from also bred Marcus's dogs. There we go. Oh. Um, yeah, and she she yeah, that is her proudest fact. And, when you go around, she's like, "Did you know?"
3: And Ta- yeah. Tash Tash's dog is absolutely tiny. So Carl, yeah. yes. if you're he's if, a that, if, kind, if you're pretending it's a big dog and you're terrified of a tiny little dog, then yeah, we've got to be little, I'm
1: I'm a fan of, of Sid the dog. Um, yes, I will say during a recent conversation we had, Marcus said he, he he's actually quite he's he's more afraid of a tiny dog than he is of a big dog. Interesting, uh, which interesting. I thought was quite interesting. So there was a the recent yappier. interview by Romario who said, mm. Mario, Mario, the Brazilian was said he mm. hates tiny dogs. So he got chased by a big dog as, a, as an adult, as a child, and went, he learned to be respectful of the big dog. <laughs> but he said, uh, uh, chihuahuas keep those effing things away from yeah.
3: them. <laughs>
1: That's In
2: great. In fairness, they are, I, when I go walking my dog, they are the ones to watch out for. The small dogs yeah. are yep. the, the yappy small mm-hmm. dogs. Yep. Big dogs are great. Yep. They'll just, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Yep. Yeah. but yeah, but, uh, you know, we could talk about dogs on our on our dog podcast. But this, oh yeah, now. sorry, yeah, we have a dog podcast. Yeah, we got now. dog podcast now. But um, you didn't you didn't get to spend much time with them. Covid wise, so how did you work together, you and Marcus, in general?
1: It was Zoom calls and, okay. and and text messages and emails and whatnot. So the first Zoom call we had, I didn't know at the time, but was very much set up a bit like a, a first date or a virtual first date. Okay, so you, okay, you, you know, you're sort of given a, t- a phone number and gone you know go on zoom uh, and Marcus will be on zoom at this time and you two can chat uh, and, and went on the zoom uh, and Marcus was there with with his brother and and, and his manager and whatnot and they were like okay we'll leave you two to talk and we'll be back in a bit and it what it was supposed to just be a sort of do will these two boys get on you know play date will will, will they you know have fun or will they end up pulling each other's hair out or whatnot <laughs> Uh, difficult over Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. How, how was the chemistry? Yeah. Uh, and, and Marcus just went straight into it. Just like, I asked him a couple of questions and after about 20 minutes we were into the nitty gritty and talking about his childhood. Yeah. Uh, and his, his very first nickname, uh, why he loved football. Something I wanted to do every time we talked was I would ask him at some point throughout the discussion was sort of, why do you want to write a children's book? Uh, and his answer never changed. He always said he wanted to give children optimism and figure out a way to 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 give children the ability to to realise their dreams and and properly think about their dreams, which I always thought was really cool. Because he just always he never wavered on that question. Which memory and desire is an interesting thing. When you do a long interview with someone over half an hour, things get really weird. So if you interview anyone about their childhood, the first thing you do, you sort of go, "Is Tell me a story about when you were six. And you go, Oh, well, you, know, you say, What's your earliest memory? And most people go, Oh, I was six and I was doing this. And it tends to be just like a snapshot. And then you go, Tell me about when you were seven. And you go, Tell me when you were eight. Tell me when you were nine. And then by the time you've asked them questions about when they were nine, their brain has basically realized what they're supposed to be doing. And I'll go, Oh, wait, no. When I told you that story about when I was six, I wasn't six, I was four. And they can push back further, ah, and, further, and, further and further and further. that's back. interesting. Back. And you can, I mean, on an average day, if someone went, what's the earliest thing I can remember? I can just about remember being stood in front of my aunt when I was two. Mm. But I can't remember anything else other than being stood in front of her. Interesting. And I can remember day-to-day life from when I was 10. But if I think hard enough and someone asks me enough questions or I go on YouTube and I watch adverts from 1996, my brain goes, oh, wait, yeah, you remember that. You were five. And I can spend more time in there. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so the first couple of chats we had were just getting in the process of understanding. It wasn't a regular football interview. How many and, and just,
3: uh, YouTube adverts did you play, Marcus, during uh, this first <laughs> this first Zoom Well, course? he was he was
1: in a, he was in that advert famously. He's in an old um, Kellogg's advert as a kid. What? I didn't know that. He's in the, he's like a young is Marcus like Rashford is in an old uh, cereal advert. Uh, as he's well. not the. So, you're, is he the you're going to
3: taste great kid? They're gonna taste great. It might, not you're gonna taste it great. Might be, it might be a sugar
1: puff <laughs> advert, but he's in—he's in an old cereal advert in like a blink and you'll miss it. Someone's <laughs> oh, kicking a ball wow, around in cool. the park and he's in the corner. Wow. Um, so we're talking about that. We—we uh, we got a little bit of feedback from from his mum, Melanie, which was great because obviously, a lot of your childhood memories aren't necessarily what happened because you're a kid. So mm. um, he had there's a story he tells about how his next door neighbour or someone who lived on his road won the lottery. Uh, and won something like a £100,000 and moved and moved away, just completely moved over to Spain. And that was that, because they won the lottery. Uh, and his mum and his older siblings eventually went, no, they won about two grand, and they went on holiday to Spain for two weeks. But when you're a kid, <laughs> yeah. if someone disappears for two weeks, you think that's forever.
3: Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and there were little stories like that, that like you sort of had to get him to tell two or three times. You, you tell it once, and when you you can just about remember it, then you tell them again, and they, you can remember it a little bit more. And maybe you tell it again, and, and an older sibling or 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 or, or the mum sort of fact checks as well. So I had my own version of that as well, where there was, you know I was, I was sort of telling him stories about things I was doing as a kid. My mum's going, "No, you didn't. <laughs> that that was your cousin who did that. <laughs> you yeah, I played for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were just in the room when the cousin got told off. And went, oh, okay." <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, So that yeah, we had we had about four or five chats to to get the eight chapters down. And what was really good was anytime we were scheduled in we ended up running long. So if it was an hour long conversation, we ended up talking for ninety minutes. It was ninety minutes, we ended up talking about for two hours. There was one chat where it was after one of the England games during the March International break, and he was driving his brother was driving him up from Wembley Stadium back to his house in Manchester and he just put it on speakerphone. Wow. Oh my god. I mean, yeah, this 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 journey's gonna take a while. I'm either gonna be scrolling on my phone or doing something else, but I may as well just do this with you. Huh. Uh, and we just went That's through so cool. what eventually turned out to be a good chunk of the final three chapters. And I was going, How was your school days? Who was your favourite teacher?
3: That's um uh, Tell you must... me
1: about playing Knockdown Ginger. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that that must be hard to Admit be disciplined. Your crimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that must be hard to be disciplined in that situation though, not just for him but also for yourself as well because you you know, after these amazing moments, you probably want to just just want to talk about those, but then you have to go okay, well, work mode. We've got to talk about we've got to get this done. That, <laughs> but might, did you have lots of moments as well where you um, you know, just chatted about things that were separate to the book and caught up?
1: Yeah, you know, we we always have moments where obviously you, you go off piece yeah. with any conversation, right? You know, on a Friday night, you finish your job and you have you have chats with your mates and sometimes you talk about how work is going this way or sometimes you have chats about whatever. Um, something I've learned a lot when you talk to loads of football players is depending on where they are in the world, they all construct sentences differently. So if you talk to Eastern European football players, they all tend to talk in full stops. So we were bad, things were this, my dad did this, full stop, full stop, full stop, full stop, full stop. Mm-hmm. Um Players of a Spanish or Portuguese origin tend to speak in a lot of just continuous. Mm-hmm. It's like Spanish and those languages are, are really continuous and they always talk all the time. Whereas uh, if you speak to someone from French background or Francophone, they tend to speak in a lot of commas. Um, and what I'm doing right now is what people of English background do is you speak in hyphens, in that mm-hmm. you're telling a story hyphen by the way do you remember that episode yeah just, okay, okay hyphen yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 uh and that's what happens quite often when when you talk to any football player of any persuasion or anyone like marcus from length is you, you'll start telling a story about tell me how who your favorite football player was at eight years of age and he'll tell me a story that starts off with him using dial-up internet or, or broadband internet at his grandma's house uh and then he'll go on to describe what his grandma's house looked like and what the co- computer room looked like and then partway through that story, we'll go, the kids still have a computer room. And that sort of thing. And, that was the, and that's yeah, the yeah, sort yeah, of when yeah. it goes I, off.
2: I love that section, by the way. That was so, I can just imagine yeah. Marcus sitting in, a, in his grandma's computer room going like, Ronaldinho. Oh, it's so, <laughs> yeah. so, uh-huh. so much fun.
3: Yeah. That is really sweet. and did he did Marcus ever like you know make any notes of stuff is like oh I'd like this line to be in or this is an idea I've got would you like to Yeah yeah that? yeah okay.
1: yeah one of the first chats he said is is really important you get in the uh, um, so Marcus you know his entire united career he always played an age up which mm-hmm. if you look at any old any football story they always tell you uh, things that always become known is loads of football professional football players are the youngest sibling and one reason why they're so good is they always played their older brothers or older siblings so yes. they're always yeah. playing just bigger people uh, another thing that always comes up is the sort of, it tends to be their mum who takes them to training or, or like the packed lunch. So there's always a story about I went to training and my parent was in the car and had a packed lunch for me. Uh, and another story that nearly always picks up is, is the fact that when they're in the academies, they're 12, but they're playing against 14-year-olds. Or when they're 14, they're playing against 16-year-olds yes. because they're good. Yeah. So and, the, and that's the greatest sign that they're good. They're always playing higher than what they should be doing. Um, and, and Marcus when he was playing high all the time, he's always being told things about you're really good and you can make it to the first team. And not everyone in this academy can. So you need, so, and he's always being told things by psychologists to get ready for the first team, being told things about what he needs to do. Uh, And one thing a psychologist told him, or one of the coaches told him when he was 14 was, your brain is like a sponge. Mm -hmm. Learn as much as you can at under 16s. Mm -hmm. And when you go back down to under 14s, just wring your brain out. And that was something, I think it was maybe 45 minutes in. We'll talk about the story. And he goes, make sure you get this in the book. Okay. Make okay. sure all the kids know your brain is like a sponge. <laughs> like, Get that one in there as well. Yeah. Um, and there are loads of bits where I'm asking him things. And, and he's saying, yep, this thing happened. And make sure you get that in. Because that was a really important thing that someone told me. So the story about his grandma with the corn porridge mm-hmm. was... That was one that we we were going back and forth with the editors because it wasn't necessarily the most intuitive story like why would why would his grandma not want to make him porridge all the time mm-hmm. and it took me sharing a story from my my own childhood um so in the book you know he, he's he stays at his grandma's house for a little bit while his is moving house uh, and every morning his, his grandma sticks something in a slow cooker and starts making corn porridge which takes about 10-15 minutes on a half and he loves it he can eat all day uh, and he would always ask his grandma can i have some can i have some before he's ready and his grandma would always say his grandma basically would." Blanking, stone face. No, absolutely not. And he didn't understand why. And I think it was maybe after three or four days, his grandma went, If you ask me the same question over and over and over again, you're not going to get the answer you want. You have to figure out different ways to, to ask me things, right? Don't ask the same question to 15 people. Ask different questions to 15 people and you get 15 different answers. Um, and the editor, or one of the people in the Macmillan's editorial team, didn't quite understand it until I told them a story where once. I was, I think I was like in a supermarket or something with my mum and I was asking her something about how the world worked my mum went, stop asking me questions all the time, uh, which was very much a, I can't, I'm not always going to be around here to help you to be your personal Google, well, Google wasn't around. I'm not always going to be around to be your personal guide to the world. You need to learn cognitive Decision-making. You need to learn how to figure out things by yourself. Mm. Um, and it was from there that I think we really started going into certain things. And we really started to realise, oh, wait, yeah. Even though, you know, you grew up in the North and I grew up in the South, and I'm a bit older than you, we do have some shared stories and we do have some shared backgrounds. And we really got into some of those phrases and terms that our parents told us. And, you know, our most recent conversation, we're going about how we both had at some point in our life got told by an older person in the neighbourhood kindness is weakness uh and why maybe that's not a great thing to tell a kid
2: yeah
3: i, I i'm sorry I'm, I'm trying to imagine what essex supermarket it was you had this your mum told you to stop <laughs> oh my god that. you're was terrible the big uh <laughs> big test goes in Chelmsford town center
1: oh man oh that fed me many a time you used to get <laughs> midget gems from there during lunchtime at school
3: uh, that's, carl that's is a...
1: pouring his heart out <laughs>
3: I'm moving it back. Did you ever go to Missoula, Chelmsford? Oh, for God!
1: <laughs> no, I think I might have been before my time. Okay, sad. So, sad. So, well, my, I... my Chelmsford years were very, my Chelmsford years are very much 2008, 2009. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's not, 07, 08,
3: 09. Not yeah, too, yeah. not too different. But I But yeah. Anyway, it's unimportant. Unimportant. Jack, I can see Jack is hating everything I'm saying. That, but talking about talking about food. <laughs> Jack, I know you're yeah. interested by something in the book. Food. Oh, raising. yeah.
2: Well, I, I, you've probably answered this already because if you're saying you didn't get to meet him in... Oh, no, you, you know, didn't get to see Marcus that much. But he talks a lot in the book about how he's trying to learn how to cook. Yes. Um, and he gets stressed when he cooks. Uh, and sometimes it goes wrong. Uh, so my question is,
1: did he ever make any food for you? And how was he? Not for me. But so Marcus is... As a chef, he is very much do everything the recipe says. Okay, and he do he will not deviate from the recipe whatsoever. Much like myself. Um, Which is, I mean, was one process uh, like in writing the book. I now think of football managers in this way as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you're ever watching a football manager, why is he not making a sub? Why is he not making a sub? Um, I've as the recipe gone, yeah. says
2: that yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Gareth Southgate, <laughs> as an England manager, is very much someone who follows the recipe mm-hmm. to the yeah. letter. Mm-hmm. Right, you will go into that game and go. The recipe says at sixty-five minutes, I will change my fullbacks, mm-hmm. and then you'll be watching the game and go. You're getting killed in central midfield. <laughs> because no, the recipe oh. said do this.
3: Who is the, who the is most pie is burning Gareth? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who is the most unrecipe football manager? I'm trying to think who it would be. Just kind of like I mean, how... Redknapp. Uh, I'm trying, it's, it's someone just put a bit in there. there. Just sh- 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 yeah. chuck a bit yeah. of chili in, in, in <laughs> there. Yeah, bug it in. See if it works.
1: <laughs> it in. Well, one, one of my favourite Harry Renup stories is uh, Pavlichenko. Yeah. Pavlichenko Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pavlichenko, who maybe spoke ten words of English yeah. when he came up to Spurs, was very confused about what to do. And then, partway through a game, Harry ran up. Just goes, "Just run around a bit."
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think I think there was an effing <laughs> in there somewhere, knowing Harry. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Right. But that was very well edited. Very well edited.
1: For this but yeah
3: so he so no cooking no cooking yet do you think that'll happen for the second book when you're writing
2: with him we've
1: shared we've shared quite a cup, few cups of tea and the first time we did get to meet properly i gave him a copy of go tell it on a mountain from james Baldwin, and i got him some some strawberry creams his favorite biscuit Aww. which he was pretty jazzed about as well uh, there is a lot of food mentioned in this book because everyone's got to eat and mm-hmm. uh this is something I try and do a lot when I interview football players or any celebrities, basically. I always remember, everyone's got to go to the toilet. Everyone's got to eat. So uh, if you are listening to this and go, oh, why does he do that? Is nearly every time I'm talking to a famous person, uh, you know, you've got to go tell me about how the story of your most amazing famous moment happened. Mm-hmm. But then I always go, and what did you eat afterwards?
3: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Because <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, you're asking that and then go, chop a
1: and then hand them like know, It's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then we won the World Cup final. And, and what would you eat after that? Because oh. they go sort the, of, uh, And they nearly always remember.
4: What? That's yeah, interesting, yeah. like yeah. 20, minutes. Have 15 you listened minutes. to Grace Dent's podcast, Comfort Eating? I have not. Because she has really, really famous people on there. And she doesn't talk to them about any of their achievements. She talks to them about their favourite snacks. Oh,
3: interesting.
4: And, interesting. It, and 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 by telling that, they talk about these anecdotes that, you know, they've never... And it's... Yeah, it's yeah because
1: yeah, uh, it's also a great way of reminding you of where you were in that moment right mm-hmm. yeah so i remember the meal i ate after i finished this book was yeah i just had sort of like a, a lentil curry uh, and a little like pot, glass of champagne. So i was like it's done four, <laughs> four in the morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean wow i mean i can tell you so the story about I will tell you the story about how we finished it. Please. Um, so, uh, something. My mum is is a is a lecturer. Uh, so I grew up in an academic house. And, and one thing, I was always, you know, moaning about things in university and whatnot, about deadlines and whatnot. Uh, and my mum said this, and I didn't pay attention. And eventually, one of my my lecturers told me this: is you need to enjoy university because is is the last time in your life where a deadline isn't brought forward. Mm. Uh, and when you're 19, you're like, whatever. Uh, And I remember being later on In the process of writing this book We had a a vague sort of deadline For after Like 15th of April Just sort of make sure the final manuscript was in I went yep that's fine no worries And I said please bear in mind my birthday is April 7th So while the deadline is here I'm not going to be around on the 7th Because it's my birthday And I probably won't be around on the 8th Because I'll be hungover (laughs) whip the boo. um and like, yep, that's fine just just get the whole thing handed in for, for, for the 15th I'm like, yep cool and i was doing loads of plans and whatnot in my life and then i got an email around about the start of april going hi carl could you in fact get the whole thing in for the 10th instead uh um i mean based on my birthday stuff what i told you not i mean if, if you want me to do that i need to write it now I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you could just work on your birthday if you want. Uh, and it was that sort of half joke about how they knew it was my 30th birthday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people want to run a London marathon before turning 30. Some people want to do a triathlon before 30, turning 30. Uh, I think someone thought, ask him if he wants to write a book before the 30. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that weekend I had covered Manchester United versus, I want to say Brighton. On the Sunday, uh, and it was a late game, uh, so it was eight o'clock during the COVID season, which means yeah, game finishes at ten o'clock. Managers don't come up for the press conferences till eleven o'clock. I don't get home until midnight. I write my article. I don't finish that until about maybe half one, half two, uh, and I'm tossing and turning. And I'm tossing and turning. And I'm tossing and turning. I'm looking at the clock, and it's maybe half two in the morning, and I go, F it." Like, I know, I know how much I need to write here. Let me just, let me just do this now get out of bed, run off in, in, into into the room where I do my typing and I've got all of these notes nice from Marcus. Uh, and there was a little bit where he, uh, where I pretty much went, Marcus, we're coming to the end of the book. How would you want the book to end? And he said, uh, no limits whatsoever. Make sure that's something in there. And, and pretty much the final words of the book are, you know, dear children or dear person reading this book, I want you to close this book and then go outside and go do the things you want. Understand there's no limits, dot. No limits whatsoever. So I've got that sort of paragraph that he told me for baiting at the bottom of this Word document. And I have this bit right at the top. And very often, if I was just copying things for baiting from the stuff I would always put in one font and I'd put sort of like cleaned up grammar, whatever, in a different font. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at these two paragraphs and there's one that I've got that's all not quite cleaned up. And I'm looking at this paragraph going, "I I need to fix this. 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 I saw it. I feel like a Jiminy cricket in my voice. Going,
3: you can just delete it.
1: Just delete it and see what happens. Just delete it and see if it if it reads well. Uh, I remember hovering over the delete button. I deleted it. And I was reading the page and I went, "That makes sense." <laughs> all right, it might be it might be finished. <laughs> Crack uh, out the might, lentil. Right.
0: Crack uh, out I, the did
1: lentil like, I did like I did like, like, I did like con- tr- command r- undo. Just go like, do I definitely or do I need that no, paragraph there? Uh, I, like uh, uh, I went. No, no, no! Deleted it again. Sort of leapt, did the you know? Free <laughs> did you freeze? Club. freeze? Yeah, did you free. freeze? Did the freeze frame sort of span around? Okay. Uh, had a moment where I went, oh yeah, it's it's the middle of pandemic. I, I live alone. I can't like run over to my mum or, or run over to my brother and be like, I finished it. So I was like, ah, oh. uh, and then it was the morning and, and I hadn't really had dinner, so I sort of like wandered into the kitchen popped over a little bottle and, and had my dinner. And Brilliant. That, that was how I finished the book. That's uh, and then the next talent. day we went to Button Lane. Uh, I had a little chat with Marcus. We did the photo shoot for The Guardian, um, which, do you want a little super exclusive? Yeah. There is a photograph in The Guardian of, of Marcus and myself that you can also find on, on uh, my social media and Instagram page. Uh, and we're both sat on a bench uh, and all my friends are going, oh, you've got to find someone that looks at you in the same way Marcus is looking at me. <laughs> we're not in the same room. <gasps> oh no! It's, it's it's a bit of Photoshop. Trickery, trickery due to some trick It's due, due to due to COVID reasons ah. and the fact that no one had been vaccinated yet. So he came in. I came in early in the morning uh, and had to sit on this bench. And a lot of times, like, okay, sit on the bench and then do loads of poses. If you're sat right next to the Marcus, so I'm going <laughs> oh. different strokes. Eighties buddy cup film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then he came in later on in the afternoon. um and sort of they made him do his own version. And he's very confused. Going, what, what do you mean? I can't sit next to him. Uh, this, is, this is April 2021. No, you know, The vaccine has just been fin- complete, like finished and no one's going to access to this yet. Um, so he is stood on this bench and I'm stood behind the camera and I'm doing all the poses I would be doing. And he's trying to respond to all those poses. <laughs> uh, and, and the amazing Guardian photographer puts those things together. Uh, so and it's a little bit later on. Where we are sort of stood at a so- appropriate socially distance rate from each other, uh, and I sort of turn to him and I go, "Guess what? I finished it." And he looks at me weird. He goes, "How?" I went, "I finished it." And he goes, "For you to have finished it, you must not have slept." And then he looks me up and down, and I went, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's that's the story of how you know biscuits and tea and whatnot, and how the book and got that,
3: complete. And now we have it. And now it's it. And there's one final question I want to ask because it is important. Uh, and as you mentioned, it was around the time. How much did you learn from Memphis to Pie's book about from how to, book. About, about how to write about how to write a footballer's <laughs> footballer's book?
1: Quite a bit, actually. Okay. Mr. Mr. Swart, Swartz, Swart, Swart, Swart. Yeah, I, I can't.
3: The, the 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 Dutch journalist who wrote with him. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. uh,
1: reading that book was really helpful because it helped me get formats correct, uh, when to go to Memphis's authentic voice, uh, and not to and to and to put in some background character about certain things as well. So yes, I I owe a small debt to This wonderful podcast for oh, showing me Sim. the methods. I'm not saying we
3: wrote the book, but we effectively wrote Marcus Rashford's <laughs> Euro Champion.
2: So we're we're heroes? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You are a champion. We are, cha- yes. I, I am a champion, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but everyone's a champion. Oh, man. a double champion because you got two copies. That's true. She got two copies. Correct.
4: Um, now, I do have to say, though, like, as a kid who, you know, as you were saying, like grow up on a council estate, had free school dinners and all of that. If someone had have handed me a copy of this when I was younger, I would have loved it so much. I was reading it and I was genuinely getting emotional because I, nobody tell when you're that kid. I think I was a bit like you, Carl. I was I was really smart, so I got to do the gifted and talented things and stuff like that. But I didn't have. They don't tell you all the time at school that you're good or you're great or you can go and do these things. And I was reading it, I was like, God, 10-year-old me would have just found this, like, so inspirational. Yeah, and I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, I need to tell Cor how much I love this book. (laughs) Me, a 30-year-old woman. But I I really did, I, I was transported back into those shoes. And yeah, I just loved it so much. I'm so glad that it's out there so widely. So many kids three
3: Because before it, is, it was only yeah. Alex Morgan's breakaway, which we read also on exactly. last series, which was also quite yeah, was, was fairly yeah. Inspirational as well. It's very emotional. Uh, yeah. But yeah. there's there's one other. Uh now you've written Marcus's book. I think the natural next step is to write another, probably the second most important British footballer's book, and that is Andy crabb Um background <laughs> on Andy crabb He's not real. Uh we made him up, but he is our 90s noughties footballer who we've made up on the show. We've spoken to Guillaume Balagay about him and uh various other football writers who've told us um you know what they would do if they were to tell andy Crabb's stories so andy Crab was basically a journeyman late 90s early noughties what have we learned about him so far jack i can't remember he played for wednesday at some, wednesday yeah, yeah th- tom, Ford has tom made Ford has played, played for, played for, wednesday. for wednesday yeah uh he had a fight with uh he married page player. three girl Oh, yeah, he fought yeah. Stuart Ripley, that was it. He fought Stuart, he fought Ripley. Stuart Ripley, that was an amazing. Someone,
2: someone wrote a chapter for us where he fought Stuart Ripley, that's that was incredible. That's
3: true, but Carl, <laughs> if you were telling the Andy Crab story, and you know it's non-Covid times, how would you want to get the most out of Crab? i tell you what,
1: before <laughs> I wrote this book with Marcus Rashford, I was talking to another former Premier League football player about writing their autobiography and they didn't want to do a straight autobiography either they wanted to do you know, a couple of essays talk about um some really big social issues based on their background and i pitched a chapter to this footballer in question and i went what i'm about to say to you is a bit weird but you just have to go with me and read this page i've got in my back pocket and he's like okay fine went, right there is a really really good book out about the final weeks of Raoul Moat's life and this footballer looks at me really odd i went what uh, so there's a greedy. there's an amazing book called You Can Do Something Amazing With Your Life.
3: By Rao Mote.
1: No, it's called You Could Do Something Amazing With Your Life, brackets, you are Raul Moat. And it is wow. a book about the final weeks of Raul Moat's life. But it's all done in the second person. And anytime time you tell a lie, the truth is told in brackets. So it is very much in the point of view of Raul Moat. And it goes, you know, you've just come out of prison and done this. You've done this. Uh, you've been arrested by... Uh, you're the victim of conspiracy in this region. The police hate you. You've been arrested 300 times by the police. Brackets. You've been arrested six times for speeding offences. Close brackets. And it goes on and on. And it's a really, really intense way to describe a very intense individual that unfortunately goes very, very badly. And I went, I'm going to write your biography, or I like to write your biography, but for all of the match scenes that happen, I'm going to write them in the second person. So you get on the field, you go do this, you do this, you talk to this football player. The referee says this to you. You're looking at the football player and you're going, he's a monk, he's a monk, he absolutely hates you. This guy's had it in for you for ages. He's booked you, this referee's booked you seven times. Brackets. The referee's booked you twice. Close brackets.
3: Uh, and that
1: was the idea I had.
3: Interesting. That's interesting. And I
1: gave it, I gave it to this football player and I went, here is a goal you scored in the dying minutes against Leicester City once. Uh, here's how I would describe it for you uh, and it was very much your are X-Man at years of age and the balls come out from a corner kick and no one's marking you no one's ever marking you why would they you'll never you never shoot from here this person's better than you this person over here is better than you but you know what time's getting bad and when time gets bad you need to do things that only you can do so what do you do you hit it you really 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 effing hit it boom and you score and everyone knows you're X-WZ you're Andy and you Crab. And yeah, you are Andy Crabb. So if I was going to write Andy Crabb's story, uh, all of the match relevant scenes would be from the second person. So if you got to cup finals, if you got to something, so I would do it from his thing. So it'd be, you know, you're 35 years of age, you're playing for Stockport, you hate Stockport, you're X amount of money in debt to your ex-wife, brackets. You're actually this amount of money. In debt to your ex wife. <laughs> yeah. This is going on. All very relevant. Uh, the the football fans are calling you this, they're saying this, they're saying you can't run anymore. Brackets. You're actually voted number one in number two in shirt sales. Close brackets. And etcetera, 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 etc. Et People so want that, the crab name on the back. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we 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 do that, we'd have like little I'd say if you're reading this in, in, in uh, paperback or whatnot, every time it'd be a match piece, you'd have like a black page and you switch over and then the match begins uh, to really get you into his state of... Because okay. I'm assuming Mr. Crabb might not necessarily be in the best physical health. He's a jobbing football player. I'm mm-hmm. assuming he knows a lot about... Uh, various holiday inns and travel lodges and whatnot. It, I'm assuming he might have played hungover. You hit might the have nail. Played. He plays drunk. I, I think he plays, plays drunks. Yeah. <laughs> <He laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming he might have had you know a, 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 a while. With a lot of painkillers. So it, I think.
3: Interesting you mentioned. Interesting you mentioned Ralph Mo because, that, if, you know, we don't know, but I'm pretty sure Ralph, uh, Andy Krabs probably serves in prison time as well in something. Oh, so, yeah. you know, this is this,
4: this. Probably in like Mallorca.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like like, like <laughs> Dudek, when we were talking about before when yeah, you got arrested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. One of those things it that is, go wrong. It is
1: one of the best books I've ever read, but I always, every time I recommend it, I go, I know this sounds ridiculous, but this is a really good book at understanding a very particular kind of masculinity and where it can go wrong. Okay. And, and unfortunately how, you know, wider services essentially fail and cause tragedy. So I, but I've always thought it'd be a really interesting way to explain a footballer's life in a way that no one quite understands, right? Because there are so many footballers interviews that have a moment going, this is what real. This is what people outside of football don't get. And sometimes you get a great interview where they say, this is what, this is what people outside of football don't get. And then they explain it to you very, very clearly. And sometimes footballers, unfortunately, can't articulate the unique pain that comes from being on motorways all the time and eating Burger King or, or coming out at 3 a.m. So I thought the best way to explain it is stick it in second person. Mm. There we go.
3: Well, you know, you've, you've, you've come as me. I've got to go to Andy so order I, that well, book I've got to go to Andy see what he says. He's got a short list of a lot of athletic journalists. So I'll let you know what he says, Carl. But uh, a chance. I, I worry
2: it might be a bit too good for for Andy. Yeah. I <laughs> think <laughs> as a concept it might like I mean so yeah. so
3: far we've got Tom Ford Carl Anker and Gian Balago writing on it. So I think it's a pretty good book, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too good for the crab story. But anyway, <laughs> that is all for this week. Thank you so much, Carl, for coming on. In a fortnight, we're going to be reading David Beckham's My World with the excellent stand-up and writer Steve Bouget. If you can't wait two weeks for an episode, make sure you join the Football Book Club Club where you'll receive 20 minutes more Football Book Club every other Monday plus your own book, book, book bookmark. We've got a great episode lined up this week. So head to patreon.com forward. So that's Football Book Club. For that, Carl, thank you again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show oh, it's, it's been, been great so
1: like, let's, let's yes. do this again definitely uh, well yeah
3: when you can do it comes out and please tell us about t- t- quickly tell us a bit more about you can do it when it's out and um, when we can get our hands
1: on it i mean it's penciled in for july 2022 so i've really got to get off this podcast and start okay. like, <laughs> <"It's actually laughs> right now that, yeah 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 you're about to get a call being like
2: you know july
3: 2022 um <laughs> how does
4: march sound
3: <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> Carl's left the podcast uh just say so he's thrown down he's his gone, headphones yeah. he's fuming that <laughs> yeah, look we're not we're not pressuring but we'd love you to come on again and chat about it in the future we're really looking forward to it this book's great i'm, I'm very intrigued yes. to see how the environmentalism stuff comes into it that is that's very exciting so am I. and you know if you ever want to chat about uh you know Chelmsford and uh no. okay fine cool. okay not. cool we'll, <laughs> sa- we'll save that, Patreon. We'll save that <laughs> Patreon make sure you get in touch with us on Twitter at Footy Book Club Instagram at Football Book Club or on Facebook send us your thoughts your author footballer puns chant ideas anything else anyone got any last words I feel they i going to be pretty inspirational <laughs> from, yeah from
4: I want to say thank you Carl thank you for writing such a beautiful
2: book oh, There we go. It's been, it's genuinely brilliant it genuinely, is a great genuinely. book, it's a wonderful
3: yeah. book. You, and, you and Marcus top lads thanks for coming yeah. on top and <laughs> Come to Missoula anytime. And (laughs) give his
4: dog love from Sid. Give his dog love, yes. (laughs) Yes.
3: There we go. Perfect. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Football Book Club. It featured James Bug, Jack Bernhardt, Natasha Frisco, and Carl Anker. It was produced and created by James Bug. Thanks to Carl Anker and Marcus Rashford for writing the book You Are a Champion available everywhere now. The theme music Hills Behind is the work of Silent Partner and is using the Creative Commons 4.0 license. We'll be back in a fortnight with our next episode. Until then, see you later.